Hello and welcome to the Barefoot Coaching Make a Change to Make a Difference podcast. In this series, we'll be chatting to inspirational people who have chosen to make a change in their lives in order to make a difference. A difference for themselves, for others, or for the world at large. We'll bring you real stories, wisdom, and insights from coaches and non-coaches alike. This is the Make a Change to Make a Difference podcast. My guest today is someone who plays an important role in the story of barefoot coaching. She was the first person to complete the postgraduate element of our coach training program, and 21 years later, she's back to share her story. We'll talk about the incredible work that she's doing supporting survivors of domestic abuse and her recently launched debut book, One in Four Women, where she shares her in-depth knowledge in this area from having worked for over 34 years as both a police officer and most recently as an outreach worker with Broxter Women's Project. A very warm welcome, Sandra Reddish. Hi, Adam. Welcome back to Barefoot. Thank you. It's lovely to be back here. It's lovely to have you on, unfortunately, a very rainy autumn day. It is. <laughs> Thank you again for inviting Kim and I to your book launch. Oh, it was really good. It was really lovely to have you there. Massive congratulations at the beautiful Bromley House Library in Nottingham. Oh, it's just the most amazing setting. How was it for you? I loved it. I felt privileged that so many people came to support me. Yeah, I felt quite humbled by that. It was lovely. Great. Lovely morning. I'd like to start with the book, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know a whole lot about book writing, but I've read enough to know a good, well-written book from a not-so-well-written book. And your book appears to me to be an incredibly well-written book. Very clear language, easy to read, well-structured. It's pride of place on the Barefoot Coaching bookshelf within our alumni collection just there. How did the book come to be? So the book came to be because I joined Broxtow Women's Project, domestic abuse charity in 2018. And I started blog writing, blogs about domestic abuse for our website. And I just loved the process. So I've never considered myself to be a good writer, and I still don't, but I just loved blog writing. And my blog started becoming quite successful. Joanna, who does our social media, did some really clever search engine optimization, And they they went global, some of them. The blogs hit all around the world and we had attempt referrals from America. So that gave me the confidence to write and I just thoroughly enjoyed the process all about domestic abuse, different aspects of domestic abuse. I've got a degree in psychology so I've always been fascinated by human behaviour and that with the dynamics of domestic abuse, just the whole thing really interests me. So I've just always blogged and loved that process. So the blogging confidence that I got, together with my determination to provide more updated course information for the women that we supported through group courses. So since I started at Broxstone Women's Project, there was a course that was run in a group setting. And that course is run throughout the country. It kind of dominates, it monopolises. And what's really good about it is the fact that women come together, they share their stories, they empathise, they validate one another, they know they're not alone. It's just the most powerful, powerful process of recovery from domestic abuse. However, the material was 
hopelessly outdated. It was written in 2008. I was just determined to provide more up-to-date information. So that's why, with my confidence in blogging, I decided to write the book. The book being a course book, it was always written as a course book, which I'm glad you found it easy, simple, straightforward, Mm. accessible, relatable. All of those things I wanted it to be, just an easy read. And so it's broken down into headings to make it easier for women reading it, easier for a trainer facilitating training of it. It was deliberately written in that structure with quite simple language, but a lot of content and a lot of information. Brilliant. Yeah. And it's a, and it's a really fabulous book. What do you think it was that made you take on the cause to go ahead and write that book? You said that there was a programme existing already that was outdated. Yeah, so when I joined BWP, I was expected to become a facilitator for this outdated training. I badly tried to dodge that. I, <laughs> every way I could, I did not want to be facilitating that training, but I couldn't dodge it forever. And I learned to facilitate that programme. When I delivered, I had to ad lib all the time. There is just so much that's happened in the 14 years since that other course was written, nothing had been updated. And so it's just my determination, really. Women needed better than this. Women needed to know about coercive control. Women needed to know about non-fatal strangulation. They needed to know about the Domestic Abuse Act, all of these things. So much has happened. So much develops in domestic abuse. It's not a stagnant thing. Technology brings about a lot of changes. Um, Smart technology means that cyber stalking is so much more more common than it was. It also means that revenge porn is such a common factor in so many women's experience of domestic abuse. So it's not a static thing. And the language in relation to domestic abuse has changed so much. We call it domestic abuse now. The previous course called it domestic violence. That might sound like a tiny change that's pretty irrelevant, but it's not. It's very, very important how you describe something, which language you use. When you call it violence, women who aren't physically assaulted will minimise their experience, will not believe they're being domestically abused because they're not being beaten up. Mm. So all of these changes needed to be brought into a new and updated course. Yeah, there's a quote, and I can't remember who it's by. Um, I can always remember the quote, I can never remember the person that said it. (laughs) Um, And it's something like, if you can't find the book you want or need to read on the shelf, write it yourself. Yeah, and that's really powerful, isn't it? And I guess that's exactly what I did. Um, And the course that I did run, that I had lived on, the whole structure, the whole way it was delivered, as I say, the women getting together, the whole thing was so powerful. It was just the material. Sandra, I said in the intro that you're returning to Barefoot 21 years on from having completed the flagship coach training programme. I'm going to take you back to 2001, if that's okay to a point where I did my research, a particularly questionable year for music with Bob the Builder and Mambo Number 5. (laughs) But actually quite a good year for film. We had Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and bizarrely, Bridget Jones's Diary. 
which you referenced in your introduction. I did. At your book launch. I did, because I'd never been to a book launch before and she was my only point of reference. So I was determined not to get utterly trolleyed and slaughtered like she did. <laughs> and I thought all would be fine. How did you find your way to Barefoot Coaching and the flagship course? What were you doing at the time? So I was a police officer at the time and I have been a police officer for 30 years. I was at a turning point in my life. I got divorced and had cancer all at the same time. It was quite a traumatic time in my life and I think I needed to do something different and develop myself. And I met Kim Morgan because she was running quite a few development programmes for the police, women's development programmes. I signed up to everyone. <laughs> I found them so inspirational, motivational, uh, just inspiring. I loved them. And, and it was through getting to know Kim, working with the police, that I signed up to her very first programme and I've never looked back. So at that point you enrolled onto what we now refer to as the flagship coach training program what was that experience like for you oh gosh it was lovely um we did it in the most amazing setting kim ordered lovely food every lunchtime that was a total high and i've made friends for life on that program i was on a dizzy high every day i guess that's um common with people who are on the program today it's just quite inspiring quite life-changing you think of different perspectives it gives you new possibilities different ways of thinking, massive self-development. Yeah, dizzy high. It was just lovely. I loved it. Really, really did. And you answered my next question, which was going to be, are you still in touch with any of the people on the programme? And it yeah. sounds like yes. Yeah, I've got two really, really good friends from the original programme, Friends for Life, definitely. Gosh, it has a way of doing that. I think there's something about being in that environment with people for actually quite a long time. And through the work that we do we naturally share the bits of ourselves that we feel comfortable sharing and then some, some magic happens I think bonds are formed um in a really different but just wonderful way yeah it was really good I mean you really you're right Adam you get to know people very very well because you practice all the coaching skills and that really is a bonding process so most definitely having had the experience that you had on the program what advice would you give to people who were considering perhaps joining the program and training as a coach yeah I'd really highly recommend it I'd highly recommend it from whatever angle that you come from if it's self-development amazing and there's that thing about teaching if you get trained to teach and facilitate and coach I think that's more powerful than if you get coached because you know the behind the scenes aspects of it and so I found that really really powerful for myself there's that thing about teaching isn't there if you really want to learn something thoroughly you teach it to somebody else and I think that's very much the same with coaching is that if you learn it from a facilitator's from a coach's point of view 
A, you get the self-development and that's very, very powerful. B, you just really learn it properly and you learn it from every angle and you learn the mechanics of it. Whereas if you're just on the receiving end of it, I'm not sure that you get all of that. You get the self-development, you get the ability to be able to teach other people or coach other people and it can improve your interpersonal relationships and the way that you operate around family and friends. Mm -hmm. So um, going back to the question, yeah, I highly recommend Barefoot. Honestly, my experience has been second to none. It's been wonderful. Thank you. And I'm very glad that that Kim showed up that day, that you were present for that training session and that's led you to to be here with us today. Absolutely, so am I. Tell us a bit about how you're using coaching and the skills that you learn on the programme with the women that you support at Broxdale Women's Project. I mean, so much is rapport building, isn't it? Mirror matching, pacing. Sometimes that comes to people easily, but I distinctly use those skills because a lot of it's important to build up trust, to show empathy, to show compassion. So those skills are really important. The thing about domestic abuse is it it takes away a woman's feeling of control. Domestic abuse, all aspects of domestic abuse are about power and control, everything, every factor of domestic abuse, it boils down to power and control. Even sexual abuse, it's down to power and control. Sexual gratification is a side issue. And so women who are abused, their control, their power, their ability to make their own decisions is taken away from them. So it's very important when I'm working with them to let them acknowledge that they have got things that they can control. And I use the coaching tool, the sphere of influence. So allowing women to see what they actually can still control, what they can influence, and then to be able to set aside everything else. And this is a really powerful coaching tool to use for that. For them to acknowledge that they still have some control, they have control over how they think about a situation and this is so important when I'm dealing with women who are subjected to post-separation abuse. Post-separation abuse so much happens around child contact, they can't just walk away from that perpetrator, they have to have ongoing communication in relation to the children. One thing I've noticed is that women are so often concerned about their perpetrator's opinion of them as mother and their mothering and they try desperately hard to prove to him that they're a good mother and when they realise that he's never going to give them that validation that proving that to him is not within their control when they let go of that just so much liberation happens and they don't have to worry about his opinion which will always be negative whatever they do. And then around the same issue, this post-separation abuse, women so often get traumatised by text and email communication from the perpetrator, you know, even what time am I picking the children up, whatever. It might be inconsequential messages or it might be horrible barbed threats and unpleasantness. But so often they get triggered, triggered down to remember awful things that have happened in the past. And so I do a bit work with them based on some NLP actually first of all their words their black letters against a white background their words well words can't harm you but words can trigger you and I tend to ask women what voice are they using when they're reading those words 
almost for sure it's the perpetrator's voice and it's an angry voice or it's a sarcastic or it's a blaming voice and changing that voice in the way that they're reading it, being able to change that voice into, say, a Mickey Mouse voice, a pathetic voice, something, a weak voice. They've got the ability to do that. How do they imagine their perpetrator when they're reading these words? Big, powerful, scary, angry, all of these things normally come up. You can change that. You can control that. You can take away his power. You can control how you think about him. You can diminish him in size. You can weaken him. All of these things are within your control. And so it's gaining back control. So they're stuck with this abuse for however long their children are children. And it's a difficult abuse to deal with. But they can minimise the impact by using various skills. So I do that quite a lot. It's one of these situations. There's no magic wand cure for it. You're going to be abused by this man for an extended period of time. However, you can control certain aspects of how you respond to his continued abuse you have control over that mm. and talked about Mesiro's four situations that give rise to transformational change one of them is recognizing that other people share our feelings which i can only imagine can be liberating perhaps sort of freeing for some of these women to realize that they aren't alone they aren't isolated um, and then there are other people who have, who have shared similar experiences that can support them. And then the other one being a empathetic provocateur, which I suppose in this scenario is the role that, that you would would play. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes women are stuck in a, this has happened and this has happened to me and there's no way of getting out and there's nothing I can do about it and I'm stuck with this trauma and this is my life and this is my identity and it's pushing them to see that there are possibilities beyond feeling like this. And most definitely in what you were saying about feeling alone, feeling confused, feeling misunderstood. There's so many assumptions around domestic abuse, but it's actually horribly confusing. And when women are in that situation, just having somebody who understands and can label and name what they're being subjected to and also tell them that their responses are normal like depression and low mood go with the territory that's a normal response to trauma it's quite validating for women but yeah there's also the ability to push them out of their comfort zones to think of different ways of operating seeing possibilities acknowledging what they can control and what parts of their life they can have control over recognizing that everybody's situation is different when you see the women you work with come to those realisations that actually there might be areas of their lives in which they still have some control or they are able from a place of safety that you would create to actually see what's going on in their life and their environment from a different perspective. In your experience, what what's the sort of change then that occurs? How are they then different? They see that there are possibilities beyond the trauma that they've been subjected to and with possibilities comes growth domestic abuse is so isolating and really cuts women off from life really that they see the possibilities and futures and potential and that's so important i want to talk to you about the work that you have been doing with the police relatively recently 
from your book, from the conversations you've had, it appears you've been quite instrumental in improving police processes and how they respond to survivors of domestic abuse. And that, I believe, also includes even supporting to overturn a caution that you felt was given unjustly to a domestic abuse survivor. Yeah, so I feel like I'm in a unique position. I almost sometimes feel in the middle. I've been a police officer for 30 years. I really, really understand police work, their processes, their procedures, everything about the way they operate. And I very much understand survivors and the charity and what we do. And sometimes there's the most massive disconnect. And It's quite sad, really. I think everybody means well. I'd say that, even the police generally. Everybody means well. They're short of time. They get poor decisions from CPS. They like court space. They don't communicate well to survivors. Survivors don't often understand the constraints that the police work with, the need to build evidence, how difficult it can be to get charging decisions, all of these things. Communication is sometimes really horrible between the two in terms of women feel invalidated, not listened to. Sometimes there's a lack of understanding by police officers around coercive control and a lot of the confusion surrounding domestic abuse why women habitually often go back to the perpetrator so I think a lot can be done so we have worked with the police Broxstow Women's Project have worked with Nottinghamshire Police to interview women qualitative interviews to get a proper feel and understanding of what gets in the way of good communication with the police how they were responded to what could have been done better and then we've collected the data done some research Research, presented it in a report. Our head trustee, Sally, has produced all of that and that's been fed back to the police and it's been received really well. We've worked with the head of public protection who seems very, very open and willing to listen and willing to want to make a difference and want to do things differently. So that's been really good and our women who've helped with that research have very much felt listened to and part of something bigger that's hopefully going to improve other women's experience. The other thing that you asked about was the overturning of the caution. So I supported a woman who was being abused by a man who was a habitual and serial offender and had such a long criminal record. He had quite a lot of form for previous abuse towards women. He had a lifelong restraining order in relation to his former girlfriend. And so when she told me that he'd set up an incident to make it appear that she'd assaulted him, reported that to the police. Her feet didn't touch the ground. She was cautioned before she knew what had happened. I had to do something about it. It was just so unjust. In that situation, the police didn't look at the bigger picture. She no previous caution or anything, no previous involvement with the police of good character, we say. Him, in prison most of his adult life, rarely out, went out, getting into trouble, very, very violent. And so I took an account from her, a very detailed account, and I wrote up a report explaining all the circumstances. I managed to Google him, and I knew actually quite how bad he actually was. 
and I presented it all to professional standards in the police, which is kind of the complaints department. They knocked it back, saying that the action to caution her was valid. And I wasn't prepared to stop there because her job was threatened. She was a carer and she'd have fallen foul of a DBS check. Her whole career was threatened because of this. And it made me so motivated to sort this out for her because I just knew how unjust it was. So I escalated it to the IPCC and ka-ching. Yeah, thankfully, they overturned it. And not only did they do that, having read my report, they acknowledged their failures and they said that they instruct the police so they instructed the police to withdraw her caution they also instructed the police to review their processes and procedures for out-of-court disposals that means disposals that don't go to court that means cautions and that type of disposals they needed to review their procedures so that again really it should help other women nobody should be in that situation nobody should be in that position you can't just look at one isolated incident and believe somebody who's presenting you that he was not a plausible character nothing that came out of his mouth should have been believed but it was you have to look at the whole picture the whole set of circumstances so that was quite a big win for her and also me because it's difficult to overturn cautions it's just difficult to do almost always they don't get overturned hi kim hi adam you know, I was thinking, there really is no single route to arriving at the Barefoot Coach Training Programme, is there? No, there isn't. People come from all walks of life, from the armed forces to aromatherapy, HR to hairdressing and teaching to taxi driving. But regardless of where they arrive from, they all share the same desire, and that is to make a change, to make a difference. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So whether people listening want to coach friends and family, coach at work, or in a new career as an accredited coach, when it comes to coach training, no two journeys are the same. You can find out where the Barefoot Line could take you by visiting barefootcoaching.co.uk. The work that you and the Broxo Women Project are doing is incredible work. And I almost feel a bit bad asking this question because we should spend time really sort of honouring and recognising and celebrating all the brilliant work that has already been done. What do you think is next for, for you, for the, the project? What I feel is next for me is I'm piloting the course, the Survivors Programme, which is based on the course book One in Four Women, and that's going really well. I'm developing course notes so that I can train other facilitators for that course. We have got a few people interested in that course, and that's really, really exciting, and I really hope that takes off. The other thing that I'm doing and I'm currently working on, although it's slow progress at the moment, is writing another book. <laughs> <laughs> about recovery, recovery from domestic abuse. So One in Four Women and the Survivors Programme, it's about the education around domestic abuse. And I think that's a really, really vital first step because domestic abuse is so confusing. It's disorientating. It's designed to confuse. So understanding the dynamics, understanding what has happened to the women, that's so important. The next part an entirely different book is The Recovery. And with that comes boundary setting, self-esteem building, friendship audits, 
And I think I'm going to be using a lot of coaching tools with that because that's about forward thinking. That's about the recovery. That's about building another life, seeing possibilities in the future. So that is quite an exciting project and I'm really looking forward to it. And what I plan to do with it, apart from writing another book, potentially another course based on that other book, but most certainly using it as a tool to work with women on a one-to-one basis because I think so much with domestic abuse you can have random conversations with women you're supporting sometimes they can lack direction sometimes you get women monologuing and that gives them relief and they're talking but really little progress is being made I think sometimes the person in my position who's supporting can lack direction of what you're achieving in that session so what I wanted to build was a bank of sessions or chapters in the book or whether it's we're going to have a conversation on building emotional boundaries and then there'll be the resource in terms of the book to consolidate the learning next week we're going to talk about self-esteem building the week after we're going to do goal setting the week after that we're going to do confidence building and I think that could really really help having that structure there having a bit of more of a determined way of supporting women giving them the whole package and they might not be in a position to take it all in at the time sometimes people don't and they're not in that place but you tend to remember don't you and then you've got the book to consolidate the learning and then when they're ready and they can reflect back they'll have had that support in a such a much more structured way brilliant and I mean I already know before it's even written that it will be a massive success and I very much look forward to the book launch for the second book you might not thank me for mentioning this but when we were talking about you being a guest on the podcast you said to me I don't think I'm a very inspirational person and I'm wondering if you remember my response to you. You disagreed. <laughs> I did. I did. I said, I said, in my view, the most inspirational people are those people that have got no idea that they are. And every conversation I have had with you, I've left feeling totally inspired. So I wanted to share that. Well, that's really kind of you. I'm proud of myself that I work hard. Beyond that, uh, no, I don't see myself. I, but I do work hard and I'm really proud of that. Who or what inspires you then? Viktor Frankl, he was an Auschwitz survivor, wrote Man's Search for Meaning, and that book is just incredible. Probably the most powerful book I've ever read, quite awe-inspiring. And his main thrust was that everybody needs meaning in their lives. That is so important. It's not always about pleasing yourself. That can be quite empty, but having a purpose, having meaning. And I very much know that when I'm supporting women and often having abuse happening to you, going through trauma, it can make women feel a bit directionless. But if you can key into what gives you meaning, what gets you out of bed in the morning, what excites you... I think that's very powerful. And he, as an Auschwitz survivor, even in Auschwitz, he realised that meaning was so important. When people had a strong sense of purpose, they would survive Auschwitz. It wasn't what physically happened to you. 
the skinniest people, the most starved, malnourished would survive because they wanted to and they knew that there was something that they were going to go on to do and others who might have looked physically fitter would die because they'd given up. Um, That's probably a slightly extreme example, but what I'm saying is that I think life's purpose is so important. I now can't not ask this next question, but I'm interested in how that relates to you. What brings you purpose and meaning? I'm so excited about what I'm doing and I'm quite obsessed with it. You know, I don't watch too much television. I'll have my laptop on my knees typing away at something, whether it's blogging or thinking about a chapter in my book or writing some course notes. That definitely gives me meaning. If I think I can make a bit of a difference, then, yeah, that's really gratifying. Definitely. You're making much more than a bit of a difference. That of course will take its toll on you time energy i'm always interested in how people take care of themselves and the habits and strategies that we employ that most of the time we don't really talk about we don't share and i can imagine at times the work that you're in the conversations that you're in they might weigh heavy and i'm interested in when you get home in the evening and you kick off your shoes how do you deal with that what do you do to unwind i kick off my shoes i put my boots on and i go for a dog walk (laughs) i've got a golden retriever called molly and yeah dog walking is my big thing and she is my big thing i can take her to work woohoo Uh, She's the office dog. She never barks. So she's the perfect office dog. Dogs are so tactile. Everything about them. So they're your exerciser and they feel gorgeously soft and they're always there giving their unconditional love. So yeah, Molly, it's big. You're making me want to go home and hug my dogs now. (laughs) I do Pilates. Sometimes I meditate a little bit and the usual stuff. I love food like cooking brilliant thank you if people want to find out more about you and the work of Broxdale Women's Project where would you direct them so I have got a website um building it up in terms of not a huge amount of content but my blogs are going to go on there and that website is domesticabuses.com domestic abuse with an s on the end so that's short for domestic abuse survival.com and also pretty much all of my blogs written so far are on the website of Broxtow Women's Project and that website is broxtowwomensproject.org.uk Brilliant. And I know you're also available on social media, certainly Broxdale Women's Project is. Um, So I'd encourage anyone listening who is interested in finding out more about you and the work you do to to look you both up and connect on, on social media. Yeah, definitely. As a way of closing us out, what's the thing that you'd like to leave our listeners with? For me, it's finding something you're passionate about and going with it and I think most people would find their passion their strength as well we've all got strengths when I retired with the police I could have just retired and quite a lot of people said why don't you just go traveling it wouldn't have done it for me I needed to do more and just finding something I was really interested in and I really am interested in 
domestic abuse and I know that sounds awful but I am I'm fascinated by the subject and I want to do all that I can to help people and then I love the spin-offs of the writing about it so going back to your question find something you're passionate about and you'll also hopefully be good at it Sandra Reddish thank you very much thank you Adam and I look forward to seeing you at book launch too (laughs) no pressure hey Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then be sure to subscribe to get alerts each time we release a new episode. Just search Barefoot Coaching Podcast wherever you get yours. Oh, and if you aren't already following us on social media, then do just search for Barefoot Coaching.